Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes reporting for duty here on a Thursday morning for your Thursday delivery. We're excited to talk to you for the next hour or so as we discuss the latest in mixed martial arts. That includes us previewing two fight cards. We got the PFL with their playoffs coming up here. It's the uh, eighth installment of the PFL, second of their playoff run. And we got light heavyweights on tap along with the featherweights, the ladies' featherweights. Remember, they're doing 145 this year, not 155. And, of course, UFC 292. Two title fights, including Aljamain Sterling and Zhang Wei Li. They defend their titles against Sean O'Malley and Amanda Lemos, respectively. Uh, we'll talk about that card. And let us remind you that Goes and I will be hosting a watch-along on Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Same deal as always, four free fights for the prelims, and then at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, we will start the pay-per-view portion. You can watch along there with us if you order the pay-per-view, and if you don't, then guess what? We will be your eyes and ears, and we got you covered. On today's show, we also have have two interviews. Oh, yes, Robert Drysdale will will join us. And uh, world champion in submission wrestling, ADCC about 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, he won uh, one of their heavier weight classes. I don't have those memorized, but he's a big cat. And actually, as an MMA fighter, he he went undefeated. He didn't have a long MMA career, but he did go undefeated. Um, But he's definitely well-known here around Vegas. And most recently, you may have seen him on The Ultimate Fighter, Season 31 on Team Chandler. All right. Aside from that, today's guest list includes Kenny Florian. He'll help us preview the PFL card that's coming up. And we also have Cub Swanson, a longtime favorite of the Junkie Radio Show. We'll be right back to start the show. So since it is a lot to get to, we're going to blast through a lot of stuff. So let's cover a few things first on the UFC 292 card because we're midweek here on a fight week. Mario Batista does have an opponent. It's Damon Blackshear, who just fought, by the way, this past Saturday. So he's fighting on seven days notice. And I believe that is a record. Hamzat Shemaev fought on 10 days notice a few years ago on a few uh, cards out in Abu Dhabi, but this is seven-day notice. He just beat Jose Johnson with that twister, if you can, if you guys remember, early on the Vicente Luque, Rafael Dos Anjos card. Now he comes back to face Mario Batista, so he's replacing Cody Garbrandt. Uh, also, for those that don't know, but this one's kind of been talked about a little bit, Neil Magny, has stepped in for Jeff Neal. He's facing Ian Machado Gary. So uh, I don't think I even need to tell you that uh, Henry Cejudo is no longer on the card. It's Marlon Vera 
against Pedro Munoz there, and Rob Font's no longer on the card. He's facing Song Yadong. Oh, sorry. He actually faced Corey Sanhagen a few weeks ago and lost, unfortunately. And Song Yadong is just off the card. So, anyway, um, yeah, the card took a few hits, but the UFC kind of did a little bit of some patchwork. But, look, it all boils down to the two title fights for me. Those are some big ones. The other ones will be fun to enjoy. Uh, but Aljamain Sterling versus Sean O'Malley goes, you know what? The more I thought about it goes, um, I just think that, um, I, I, I know I say this often, if this happens, blah, blah, blah. And if this doesn't happen, then expect blah, blah, blah. This time I'm going to say something different. I think Aljamain Sterling is going to get him on the ground. I think he's going to submit him pretty quick. Really? That's just my opinion. Yeah. I think he's either going to ground and pound him or submit him, um, but he's going to 10-8 him. If if he makes it to the second round, he's down 10-8. And then after that, I think it'll be a little bit of a rinse and repeat. Aljo seems to be in good shape, strong mind, and he's just flowing these last few years. I mean, I can't, I can't hate on that because it definitely is a possibility. Um. But I don't know why. I have this weird feeling that Sean O'Malley is going to give him just a little bit more trouble. And I don't want to say it's because he's a, a better fighter than than some of the guys that uh, that he's faced. I just think he, he fights really well knowing his length, pumping out his jab. Um, I think he throws his kicks at good times. He can't joke around like he has before in fights. Um, he likes to joke around a lot, and I think Aljamain Sterling could take advantage of that very easily. I think there'll be moments, but then I think Aljamain Sterling will figure him out. And when he does figure him out, then I think, yeah, I think it can be rinse and repeat. Um, cardio is a big thing, too. You know, I feel like Aljamain has finally figured out how to pace himself in right. fights. And in a five-round fight, that can be kind of difficult for the younger fighters, so... I kind of see Aljo winning just maybe in a different way, but I'm not hating on the way you see it. That could very well happen. And that's, I think what makes fights interesting. You know, when you have different outcomes like that, uh, even when you make cases for Sean O'Malley, you know, like, is it really that out of the question? If we were to knock out Aljamain Sterling or submit him, I think that's what makes fights interesting. Mm-hmm. I think for O'Malley, sorry, for Sterling, He's taken this personal on two fronts. One, I think he just, I think he knows O'Malley is a great opponent because he's, it's going to help him sell pay-per-views, and this could be one of his more lucrative paydays ever. This will also give him a fourth title defense, which would pass Dominic Cruz if you're just talking about UFC weight defenses. That is correct. He's tied with them now. He would surpass Dominic Cruz and in many eyes become the goat of man on weight. And then, of course, he has the option to go up or continue or whatever. But if you're a hardcore fan, I think there's tons of respect for what the WEC did with the lighter weight classes when it just didn't exist in the UFC. And if you throw in those other two defenses that Dominic Cruz had there, then guess what? You have still a deficit of four to five which, you know, with a guy like Dominic Cruz has been pretty brilliant. You might either want to tie him or beat him. Maybe he sticks around for one more. So I think there's that deal going on, the, the whole GOAT thing. 
There's the thing where I think he wants to teach O'Malley a lesson. So he's appreciative of what the guy brings to the table. Like there's a big spotlight on Aljamain Sterling this week because Sean O'Malley brings that. But I think he wants to shut him down because O'Malley, like I said, kind of won a few mind games along the way. Remember when Sterling said, oh, yeah, bitch, let's go in July. And O'Malley said, nah, see you in August. You know, kind of like <laughs> kind of thumped him real quick on Twitter. Uh, and, you know, so a few of those little things have, have kind of happened. And uh, now I, I just think Sterling wants to take him to the ground and strangle him. Because even though that's kind of like, I wouldn't say boring, but it's uneventful. When he did it to Sanhagen, wow, was that a statement. And look at oh, the yeah. way Sanhagen's fighting now. You know, like, he's obviously made a huge campaign to fight again. And I don't think he, if he were to fight Sterling, it would end like that so quickly. I'm not saying Sterling couldn't beat him again, but I just don't think he would do that to him so quickly like that. But, you know, the, he still obviously has to build back for a second time because it already he already got smoked. So um, I don't know. And, and the last thing I was going to say was I think Sterling still harbors a little resentment, even though they bought him a Lambo. The way they kind of said, yeah, man, it's Sterling and this guy, you know, in August, and he's just barely... He's still dripping sweat from the last fight against Cejudo. They're bringing the guy in, which I think was good. Again, you know, the whole jacket incident. But I think they just kind of like forced him into a corner and he didn't appreciate it. Mm -hmm. um, but I can agree anyway, with that. Yeah. But so I, I think he's going to go out there and, and go for that quick finish. I think it would be a huge statement. And then if it doesn't happen, it unfolds. Then, hey, let's strike. Let's go. But what the one thing for sure is. When they go again, like if Sterling were to either get up or ride out the round, sorry, O'Malley, then when O'Malley comes out again, it's going to be in the back of his head. Okay, I got to pick my spots because I can't go down with this shark who literally will pull me underwater and have me gasping for the next five minutes. I got to pick my spots and make it count. And not just give him a freebie, you know, like those lazy right. leg kicks that get thrown out. Next thing you know, the guy grabs it and off you go. Um, as far as Jean Wei versus Amanda Limos, the one thing I like about Amanda Limos is she's got one hitter quitter type power. She's got that in her hands. And so because of that, look, oh, uh, it's not like Jean Wei who I think is a beast. It's not like she hasn't been put down with punches, she has been. So her chin can get gotten to. I also just think that Jean Wei is getting better and better. She's just a force, right? So I expected to be a pretty fun fight, but I think the champ holds her belt there. So I expect both champs to win. I think it's going to go two and zero for the champs. Yeah, I can agree with that. Uh, I what I really agree with the most on your assessment is the Jean Wei um improvement. Right, she just does seem like she's getting better, and I think, uh, I think everybody's just just a little notch below her right now. And I don't know that Lemos, she's got a shot, but it, it's a small one. Then again, guys, like, what were, what was our mentality, you know, with Alexa Grasso going in against Valentina Shevchenko, and boy, did she prove us wrong, right? And wasn't mm -hmm. Val Valentina Shevchenko just this massive force? So I guess you never know. But uh, I do feel like both champions hold on to their belts. Yeah. You know, Zhang Wei Li showed me something because 
She was relentless with Carla Sparza. And I know Carla gets shit on a lot, but Carla's a formidable wrestler. Really good grappler, man. She can mix wrestling with jujitsu. And so when she's on the ground, she's really just good at scrambles. And she hung in there for, for a bit. But Zhang Weili proved to be, you know, too much. Um, like I say, she's just, I think she's just that natural athlete that can pick up whatever martial art or sport uh, they want to teach her techniques and, you know, apply them. And so I think just all around, she's just head and shoulders above everyone else. I mean, Rose does have her number. She's beaten her twice. Um, but Rose right now is a, f- a flyweight, apparently. She's she's going to fight up flyweight, see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Who knows if she'll come back. But for now, I think Zhang Weili is ruling at the top. Now, that said, Tatiana Suarez was, was very impressive a few weeks ago. So I kind of I'm already starting to look forward to that one because that one would be a lot of fun on the ground. What I don't know is if Tatiana Suarez can hang with Jean Lee on the feet. That's the problem. It, just like Amanda Limos, she can hang with Jean Lee on the feet. I just don't think she can hang with her on the ground. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. That that's for sure, man. With Pena and Nunez, Grasso and Shevchenko, and some of the other upsets that we've had over the years just you know uh i almost said leon scott leon edwards against kamar usman come on that was not going his way that first one and then he landed that head kick you know um poor tang he almost got finished in the first round of the first mma fight he had against izzy and then he came back and wound up finishing izzy so um before izzy obviously won his title back but you just never know. And that's kind of what makes it fun. That's why we do this thing. That's um, why um, I feel like the sport has a little bit of an advantage over boxing is you just see that more in our sport than you do in boxing. Mm-hmm. So true. Um, all right. So Ian Machado Gary versus Neil Magny. Um, <laughs> we know what both, guy want, both guys want to do. But what I noticed yesterday was everyone was talking about Gary and his confidence and a little bit of arrogance. He says he's the superstar on this card and everybody knows it. And I'm thinking, cool your heels a little bit, buddy. Like, look, when he's fought, he's made an impression. I'm starting to look forward to his fights. He's become that. I'll give him that. But he's not the superstar of the card. I mean, Jean Wei Li's pretty big and has been for a few years. And Aljo, I mean, look, they're throwing around the GOAT status with him as far as you know, bantamweights are concerned. You know, these are two monsters just, you know, starting with those guys. But more than anything, Ian Machado Gary just, I guess, you haven't beaten the top five guy yet. You know, like, slow down a little bit. But I love his confidence. I think maybe he's just planting seeds. I think, like like Go said, or Goes will say soon, when we discuss something else, just pick the right words, man. Yeah. He fights like the way he i mean he backs it up in the cage but it's just a little too early it kind of reminds me a little bit of like hamzat hamzat came in had a very big mouth and things are going hamzat's way but it wasn't that long before we kind of realized whoa okay he's not invincible right i think uh i think ian machado gary's gonna feel that same way there's going to be those, especially against a guy like Neil Magny. Is it just me or do you feel like half of 
of uh, Neil Magny's career, we've said Neil Magny's stepping in for like that dude is just ready anytime, any place. He's like the quiet cowboy when you think about it. Um, he's just kind of always ready. So that's a good comparison. You're right. I think um, even even the best of fighters will tell you like even if you feel like you're that much better than another fighter, but the fact that you're getting them on short notice just kind of makes things into a little bit of a nightmare. And you have to respect that a little bit, that process. And I don't know that that kid respects that yet. I think he's still in his head saying, you know, I'm that badass. I mean, which is good. But at the same time, like if you hear any of these veterans, whether they're NBA guys, boxing guys, they will tell you how big their heads were until they were humbled by another fighter and how much that like completely changed their world. Exactly. All it takes is one, one loss. He's 12 and 0. things are going great for him. And I think he's gaining a lot of fans. He's very likable, man, to tell you the truth. But mm-hmm. man, did, did he get a lot of hate off of that? The pre-fight stuff that he did yesterday, because he just went, a, you know, a little bit overboard and um, like I say, I think there's a lot of fighters in boxing and MMA that have studied not just the athletic part of it, but the showmanship part of it. You know, basically how to talk up a fight, mm-hmm. how to promote yourself, how to play a heel or, or be a likable baby face. And I think Ian Machado Gary, again, if he just says a few different things, I think if he just would have said, Hey, look, I, a lot of fans are coming to watch me. Um, I know I'm not the main event, but soon I'll be there. But I think a lot of fans really, really dig my fighting style and I'm going to get a lot of cheer, you know, whatever you can still have a little swag and arrogance and talk about how you kind of do belong up there with them, but you're not a superstar. And you're not the superstar of the card. You're just not there yet. You know, you're kind of, in a way, putting a little bit of pressure on yourself. Here's why I say that. Because when McGregor did it and things were right, it was great. But there is something for all that that you do put on yourself that when it doesn't come in and it comes tumbling down, if you're not prepared and you're not strong mentally, it can be something else. McGregor did well when he got when he lost to Diaz the first time. We all applauded him for taking it on the chin, facing the audience or the media, immediately giving True. props to his opponent. And then what he got over it pretty quick. And then he got a, the same opponent like five, six months later. He got the W and then the world was his. But he has not been dealing with it as well in these last few years whether it was the Mayweather stuff, the, the the Poirier stuff, it's, you know, you can tell this guy's just crumbled, man, really bad in the last five years. I think a lot of it has to do something with what he built, you know, uh, within himself. And, and this is with him bringing a few losses. I think he had three losses when he came over from Cage Warriors, whereas Gary's flat out completely undefeated. Who knows if he can be ready for something like that? That's a lot mm-hmm. of pressure that you just don't need for this fight against Neil Magny, you know what I mean? You're not at, you're not at Gilbert Burns yet. You're not at um, Colby Covington or or whoever else. Like, slow down. When you're really good at something, and people are there to tell you about it, you lose a sense of reality, and you create your own, and you live in it so long. Like, have you ever heard when people uh, 
they tell a lie and they've told it so long that they actually believe it. That's what I think happens to a lot of these fighters. And if you don't have somebody to check you, um, it's just rough. It's going to be rough when, when that, when that house falls down, it's going to be really rough. And like I said, man, I, I just see veterans all the time. Talk about this all the time. I thought I was this until this, and there's plenty of this running around, you know, it's just too early for this guy. Yeah. Um, all right, real quick. And then we'll put two ninety two to bed. Cause we have a lot of stuff. We got to move. We got, um, uh, Cub Swanson up first here. So one last thing. Chris Weidman is facing Brad Tavares, but they're not on the main card. Chris Weidman is a former UFC middleweight champ. Brad Tavares is a longtime ranked fighter, popular fighter, came through the reality show and uh, has some great wins on his record. He's only lost the best. So two top middleweights. But Chris Weidman says, I feel disrespected. Um, because you know, he's so many times he's been actually not just on a main card, he's been the main event on a main card. What were your thoughts on what he said? Goes, I thought he went a little overboard. I thought his wording should have been more. I was disappointed, I'm disappointed in the UFC because of my placement, and and I feel that way because I've done blank right to be disrespected is is a very, very strong word. And that would probably reflect maybe like if he were the first fight of the night or something, second fight of the Mm -hmm. night. Yeah, I think that could be a little disrespectful. But uh, considering his story, what he's accomplished in the sport, you could make a, a case for him being a little higher on the card. I get that. But at the same time, if you look at his record, it hasn't been that good for Chris. You know, Chris has to understand that you probably have to come and improve a couple things before we can look at you as who you were years ago. And so I think uh, just swap disrespected for disappointed and you got a case. Disrespected is a little bit too much. And that's what I was alluding to with the usage of words. Um, I agree completely with what you said. He's two and five. No. Two and six in the last eight fights that he's had since 2015. He hasn't been fighting much. Obviously, he's coming off a two-year layoff. But if we even throw the fight against Uriah Hall out the window and say, well, if he doesn't break his leg, he beats Hall. We don't know, obviously, right? But if we do, he's still two and five during that time. He's taken some brutal KOs, by the way. All of those losses, except for the leg break, which is as brutal as it gets. But again, if we just say, well, that was... You know, th- those just don't happen often. Um, the Reyes, Souza, Musasi, Romero, and Rockhold finishes of him, he got throttled. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like the, I, a lot of people were thinking, man, maybe Chris just, should just hang it. He won his title. He had two, three title defensive, if I'm not mistaken. That's formidable, you know, because he beat Anderson, defended against Anderson when he broke his leg. Then he defended against Leota and Belfort. So he was legit. He got to 13 and 0. But like I say, now he's 15 and 6. Uh, that, that's where I come up with 2 and 6 here in, in the last eight fights. Disappointed, but not disrespected. Anyway, uh, Goes and I will be hosting a watch along on Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Just come to the site, 
on that day, I'm sure you'll see all the sharing and the reposting and promoting that we'll do on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. But if at the end of the day you're like, what, what, what's going, what's happening again? Just come to the website www.mmajunkie.com, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. You'll see UFC 292 watch along with Gorgeous George and Goes. Go there, and you can, uh, you know, you can access the watch along. So there you have, it. and Robert Drysdale will be co-hosting with uh, co-hosting that with us. We'll be right back with UFC featherweight Cub Swanson coming off a huge win this past weekend over Hakeem Dewadi. What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes catching up with one of our favorites, all-time favorites here on our existence of Tag Radio and MMA Junkie Radio. It's none other than Cub Swanson, who defeated Hakeem Duwadu this past weekend at the UFC Fight Night, Vegas 78, UFC on ESPN 51, whatever you want to call it. The man got his hand raised. Congrats, Cub. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. A few days have gone by now. I'm sure you've rewatched the fight. And do you still kind of share the same opinion that, you know, maybe the other guy should have won? Um, or do you, as it said in that, hey, the call was right. All right. Uh, I watched the fight and, yeah, I, I thought I thought it was very close. But, I mean, I, I, I definitely feel like I won. Uh, first and third round. Um, Second round, I give to him just because of, um, you know, basically controlling me. But he did. He really didn't do any damage from there. I actually was letting him control me because um, I didn't think that that anything he was doing was was hurting me. And I felt like he was spending more energy than I was. So I was kind of letting him do that. Um, But in the moment, uh, I thought that I lost the first just because I was disappointed in, in, in what I had done in myself. Uh, and then I thought I lost the second. So in my mind, going into the third, I was like, I need to finish him. Do you not remember at that time blasting him with the faint, faint, and then the big overhand, right? It was kind of early in the first round. Did you, did you kind of remember that? Does, does it start to get foggy as the fight no, goes on? Yeah, I remembered that. Uh, I was kind of disappointed that I didn't throw that more. That was kind of the game plan. Uh, was to kind of get him back more on his heels, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I thought that 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 double jab right worked perfectly, and I I don't know why I didn't do more of it. I thought it won you the first round, honestly, because the first round, see, on fight night, I thought you won one and three. Now I was nervous that the judges could say twenty eight, twenty nine, or sorry, twenty nine, twenty eight, Duwadu, right? Um, so I thought that could happen because I knew the rounds are close. But I, I thought you won rounds one and three. And then when Goes and I rewatched it, I thought that that punch actually made the difference because the rest of the time, though he did make up some ground, like if you're using the pendulum, kind of like a clock, you know, you're leaning this way or that way, though he did make up some ground, um, you still had answers. So you still had strikes as well. But yeah. the criteria is very clear on damage and offense. And in that round, I thought it was the most damaging round with the rest kind of nullifying itself, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and then 
my nose started bleeding at uh in the first round mm -hmm. one shot that he caught me with was right at the bridge of my nose and then it just started flowing so i i remember thinking that that was going to make the judges think that i lost the round as well now um the broadcasters i guess kind of always gave not always sorry kind of kind of gave us that feeling as well that it could be oh and two going in to round three and so by the time the decision was read um i understood why people were like oh my god robbery when it really wasn't you know what i mean but the broadcasters yeah. gave this indication like hey man if this guy doesn't finish he's gonna lose he's down oh two everything that just makes you believe that basically you need the finish and when you didn't get the finish including getting that takedown in round three it was almost like a oh what is he doing when you should maybe maybe going for the finish with your hands um but what do you think of that like did you feel like it was unfair or did you understand what they're saying it's you know i'm talking i guess specifically about dc with the o and two feeling and then brendan at the end kind of giving that feeling uh that you know, the right guy just didn't win, but we move on to the next fight. I don't know if you caught that. Uh, no, not, I, I didn't pay attention to that. Um, ultimately, I've seen some of the comments and I'm just, I'm not really that worried about it because okay. my, my whole career, I don't think I've ever got a close decision go my direction. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just was like, whatever, man. <laughs> I, this was such a tough camp for me mentally to to be able to to get in it uh to feel confident i was just really dealing with a lot of doubt um in, in, for myself in general so that was another reason why i i kind of was clapping for him i just i had a really hard time visualizing me winning uh mm -hmm. i just kept honestly feeling like like i wasn't going to and I, I was struggling with that, that all camp. So to actually get the win and then, you know, the people closest to me that Matt, you know, their opinion matters. They all thought that I won one and three. Um, so that that's all that mattered to me. I should have thrown that in there. Yeah, you're right. The little clap from you as well kind of didn't help matters, I guess. Um, but it's done. You did win uh congrats obviously he was tough it, man dude let me tell you something i should be stressing this even more it was really a fun fight to watch um and that's why when i texted you like hey we'd love to have you on to talk about the fight one of the questions i slipped in there was your hands i mean you were throwing with bad intentions and if hakeem duwadu is in any way interested in what i have to say i think if he would have done a little bit more of that which it looks like anything he throws is heavy artillery but it seemed like he just wasn't like fully extending on a lot of things, you know, or maybe being more active, maybe things go his way, but man, you were throwing some hard punches. Your hands survived. I mean, and it really did look like you had a blast out there forgetting about the money, forgetting about the win and loss. It, you know, I, I had fun watching it because it looked like you had fun doing it. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, backstage was crazy. I was kind of having a mix of emotions I just wanted so bad to have a good a good performance. Um, you know, I got a little choked up backstage and I was just like, I just wanted to go out there and have fun and be in the moment and not have a bad experience. Um, Cause sometimes that happens. And so, 
when I started to really catch my flow backstage, I just kept reminding myself to go out there and enjoy the moment, but be fast and loose. And, and that, that's what all I was thinking about. And so when, uh, you know, Joe Martinez was announcing me, I was kind of soaking that in, um, because you never know, I don't know what my last fight is going to be, you know? Um, so I was trying to soak that in and, and then, uh, you know, once I got into the fight, uh, I really felt on and then, uh, I landed some good stuff and then he, he surprised me with, with some of his speed. And so that kind of made me reevaluate and kind of refocus. And then he started catching some steam in the, in the second round. And then I was able to kind of refocus, uh, after the second going into the third and, and try to have some fun. And I really feel like if I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have been able to secure that third round. And so, uh, I, I was pretty proud of that to be able to rally back and, and be able to have some fun in there. And I saw my kids and, and I was like, Oh man, all right. I'm, I'm really having fun at this point. Um, Cub. So I've kind of heard you say it, uh, before that there were certain circumstances leading into this fight that just felt different for you. Um, what does that mean going forward? Are they things that you've identified that you feel like, okay, this is how I can fix that. Or I think you might've alluded to this before you, you, you said you might've just felt a little bit slower, like maybe father time caught up to you. Those are things that, that can't really change too much. Can you maybe identify what you, what this means going forward in your career? I mean, honestly, just this is the first time I ever felt that I, I wasn't like, technically I feel the best version of myself. But athletically, I, I started this the first time I noticed a small decline. And I just, as someone who's been measuring myself against my last uh, performance for years and years and years, uh, it was just hard to, to deal with and to be like, man, should I still be doing this? Um, is this the right move? I'm not a young kid, you know, trying to lay it all on the line anymore. You know, I'm, I got a family, I got, you know, I have stuff. Um, is this important enough? And, uh, yeah, I was just, you know, th these are normal human emotions that, that, uh, we deal with that, you know, we don't usually talk about, but it was real. And it was, uh, it was a, a scary one for me. Um, I, but I told all my coaches, my cornermen, my close, training partners what I was dealing with just so that I was like look if you see me uh acting a little different this camp then then just know this is what I'm dealing with uh I'm gonna get through it but but just you know this is it is what it is you know I hope that's something that you never lose I know that's very difficult for some fighters but uh you always kind of keep everything real and you speak from your heart even in those moments where it can be very, very tough. I mean, you just had a fight and people are drilling you with questions. And then afterwards, like that's very difficult to do, but I don't know if you realize this, but the effect that it has on other people watching you do that, I think gives a lot of people confidence and, and, and pride and it mm -hmm. kind of helps humanize our sport a little bit. So I just off of, off to the side, I hope you do keep that in you and never let that go away. We really all do appreciate that. And, with that said, I want to ask you another question. Uh, you know, you had mentioned the kids. You thought they were going to kind of be in the back, but they ended up being pretty close. Um, but it all worked out, right? Yeah. Is that yeah. something where going forward, hey, let's have them up in front or let's go back to plan A, keep them in the back? 
Well, and, and see, so that was the tricky thing is I wanted them to be there because I just wanted to see them right away after um, because I spent time away from them this camp. And, um, you know, seeing my kids and my family makes everything okay again. So um, I knew that right after the fight, I wanted them to be close by, but I would, I didn't want them cage side. I didn't want them right there because, like I said, uh, it was very difficult for me not to think that I was going to lose. I was, I was struggling with that um and so it made me even more nervous thinking okay well if i get beat up in there that it, it is what it is but do i want to get beat up with my kids just you know right there maybe crying like that just didn't that wasn't making it any, any easier um but it just so happened that they ended up sitting up close and i it was out of my mind and um, I actually worked out because I saw him at a great moment and right when I was having fun and it was just like, hey, all right, they're right here and I'm good. Everything's fine. So, um, like I said, after the fight, I, I if I'm taking my fear out of the equation and, and um, I, I want them to be able to see, I don't want to hide things from them. Um, I think it's an important lesson that it, you know, losing and winning and losing is a part of life and is what it is. Hey, Cub, just to be specific here, did you mean in the back out, out of the arena itself or just like maybe 10th row? I mean, we're not talking about Cowboy Stadium here. The apex <laughs> is pretty small. So I don't, what, what, where was the confusion? You didn't even want them in the actual arena itself? Like you wanted them in the locker room or how, how did yeah, that they- happen? How did that how did that play out? Was that Kenda's call at the end or something like that? <laughs> no. Uh, so there's like a, a couple areas. There's like a little kitchen. There's a waiting area where they have TVs and you can still watch the fights. And so I kind of figured that, you know, Kenda has a credential. So I thought that she would have them just kind of waiting um, in the waiting area, not in the arena. Um, and so, but she, uh, they, they kind of, we're like, no, this we have these seats for you, and she was just kind of like nervous about it. She she knew how how I was feeling, so she was, you know, was feeling trying to be respectful of me and and everything. But that's where they ended up sitting, and it, it like I said, it all worked out. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Okay, so yeah, executive decision, but it worked out. Man, I'm telling you, seeing them was one of the things that made my weekend. They were all so cute and grown up. And they had the smile on their face, and so did she. So even though that wasn't the initial plan, you're right; it did work out. Um, that was cool. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you. I it it made it special for me as well. Mm-hmm. Hey, Cub. So speaking of special things, whenever we interview you, it kind of brings us back down to earth for a little bit because you were literally like maybe our third interview ever on the show. I know it was you were one of our first in studio interviews. And I'm sure if we went back to that day, George and I wouldn't think we'd still be around here. And maybe you throughout your career might have thought, hey, I might have had a couple fights and then find something else to do. But we're all here, right? And some of the things that's difficult about our show and this new audience of mixed martial arts fans is trying to explain the past a little bit. Mm -hmm. I want you to kind of look back at a time in your life in the WEC era. We could talk about it all day. But if you weren't there, it's just kind of hard to understand. Can you maybe pick one thing that you could point to that separates the WEC from everything else, you know, where 
where uh, you you gotta say like, look, man, you just kind of had to be there. But this is the one thing that the U that the WEC brought that just didn't really happen anywhere else. I think it was the pride that we all fought with, uh, and that kind of was really cool because the UFC was already doing its thing, and it was the same company, but it was the lighter weight classes, so it was an opportunity. Like if it wasn't for the WEC, there wouldn't there probably wouldn't be women in the UFC. And I don't think the lower weight classes would have ever done well. Um, so I, I just remember being backstage in the fighter meetings. Cause now the fighter meetings are like, Hey, don't, don't cuss out there. Don't jump on the cage. Uh, there's bonuses, you know, it's like really simple, but back then uh, Dana and, and um, you know, Sean would be talking to us backstage uh, I remember specifically certain times they're they're like, look, we have these executive producers from this TV station uh, coming and and it's really important that you guys go out there and just you just do what you do and and everybody left that like fighter meeting after weigh-ins like feeling, man, this we all have to go out there and and make this uh, fight card special. And we did that every time. so, I felt like we had a lot of pride in, in how much, how hard we were fighting and how entertaining we were trying to be. And uh, yeah, I just, I haven't felt that since, you know, just basically the company saying, hey man, we, we need you guys to go out there and just, you know, put on great performance. Uh, that's a great answer. Um, let me ask you this. So going forward, I feel like Cub Swanson's done so much in his career. You're a Hall of Famer that you're not the guy that they call and tell you, what do you think of this? I feel like you're the guy that could say, this is what I want. So my question to you is what does Cub Swanson want going forward? Well, I think at this point, the only thing that would really excite me would be uh, a fight in Palm Springs. And, uh, you know, there's, there's probably only a couple fights that I'd even want. I, I know one that the fans would want would be an, uh, another fight with Duho Choi. Um, but yeah, that fight in Palm Springs would be pretty wild. Uh, other than that, I, I don't know, you know, too many other fights that, that really are going to excite me and, and motivate me to, to train hard at this point. You and I chatted about this in Costa Mesa a few months back. Did you say the arena is done or is being built? I can't remember. Oh, it's, it's done. Um, okay. I already to a hockey game there it's the coachella valley firebirds um mm -hmm. it's the hockey team and yeah uh, they i think they broke the record for highest average attendance in a season oh, yeah. Uh, so yeah they're they're the, the coachella you know it's attendance huh? what, what do you know what the attendance is there um, I, I believe it's just under 10,000 for a hockey game, but it's, okay. I think like 11,000 if you have people on the floor. Right. All right. So it's definitely doable for sure. Um, for a, for a fight night. I exactly. No problem. Yeah. And the way you phrased your answer, if that doesn't happen, this could have been your last fight then. It's possible. Hmm. I got I got a little bit of uh, I got some injuries that I need to address that I'm going to um, real soon here. I mean, honestly, I've that I've had this um, 
this um, cyst on my spine that's been causing me quite a bit of pain yeah. uh, that I've been dealing with. And so I think I need to get that removed. Would you feel like satisfied if this one was it or does Palm Springs like, is that a niche that needs to be scratched or anything else that you maybe, you, you know, you're holding close to yourself that, that, that matters to you? Uh, I think I'd like to, to have one more big one, just be able to fight in, uh, in front of a crowd. I haven't done that since, since I fought Kron in Tampa. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, I, I, I kept saying that, uh, my birthday's coming up in a few months and, you know, I'm going to talk with my family and evaluate things, but yeah, I need to get healthy and, and, you know, see how I feel after. Mm -hmm. Um, I imagine winning helped, right? Because I guess a, a brutal loss would have accelerated this conversation or, or does everything still like. Or did you know that coming out of that night, there was still the Palm Springs thing and, you know, everything else? Like, what did it all depend on different things that happened that particular night? Um, I'd say it's probably safe to say if I would have lost, I probably would have been done. Wow. That's crazy, uh, man. I had to do a double take, Cub, when I saw that you're 39 going on 40 later this year. Yeah. For some reason, I had you pegged more in my head, you know, like 36-ish or something like that. Um, you, but you yeah, gotta, that... you gotta think, you know what people say to me, like I run into fans here and there, you know, and I get noticed and, uh, the fans are always cool, but you know what? Nine out of 10 people tell me when I see them in the streets, hmm. you retired, right? <laughs> really? It, it, huh. it gets like, I want to be like, I get it. All right. <laughs> like it, it's well, just it's just kind of crazy that, you know, it makes me like, man, all right. Am I, am I tripping? Am I overstaying my welcome? No. Nah. I mean, okay. In your last six fights, you've won four and lost two, or you can say you've won two of your last three. You're not fighting tomato cans by no stretch of the imagination. I mean, these are some killers out there and different types of specialists, you know, mm -hmm. that you've beaten. But what I still can't get out of my head is how exciting the fight was and if your body can hold up, man, those fights deliver. Like, even if you would have lost, I still would have told you to your face. I would have went, bro, that's one of the funnest fights, Cub Swanson fights that I've seen. Because you just, it looked like every tool that you've ever learned, you threw or thought about throwing. Because obviously, you probably know a thousand techniques. You can't do a thousand techniques in a yeah. fight. But it was crazy, man. It was awesome. Um, so, yeah, I mean... But but yeah, it's it's your brain, it's your family, it's your yeah. body, it's your spine. It's I don't know how you wake up in the morning. I mean, it may take you ten minutes to get out of bed. You know who who knows? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it. That's the biggest thing is I I keep myself training with you know a bunch of twenty year olds that are hungry, and I'm still performing in the gym. It's just that when I get home, uh, it hurts a little bit more. It takes me a little bit longer to walk up and down the stairs on certain days on my hardest days. But yeah, um, I, I just know that my, my kids are getting at the fun age of, of doing sports and, and I just don't want to be struggling to, to, to play sports with them, you know? So, 
um, you know, I, like I said, I'm going to evaluate things and, and, and if it's, if it excites me, I'll, I'll, I'll be into it. If not, then I'm not too worried about it. Oh, I have a suggestion. Can I be your manager for the next 30 seconds? Unofficially. Unofficially. All right. Here's the Cub Swanson retirement plan. If the UFC never goes to Palm Springs, okay, rematch Jose Aldo in boxing in Palm Springs. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would love to do that. Um, I, I've been, I watched uh, most of his boxing matches so far, and yeah, I, I think we we would match up well. I think people would be surprised at, at my actual boxing skills because you 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 have to spar and fight a lot different um and i've been doing that for 15 years and people really haven't got to see me do it but um yeah and and like george like you were saying with with the last fight with uh, hakeem um he was making me miss and he was giving me a, a, a tough time but had i been landing more i probably would have showed even more and had you know done more stuff but he was keeping me honest because he was he wasn't easy to, to, to land clean on. I left yeah, one you know, part out. Go ahead. Go ahead. Tim, Timothy Bradley has to be involved in your corner somehow. I think that would yeah, be fun. Well, if we get to fight in Palm Springs, I, I was planning on making sure that he came. Like, come That'd on. Be dope. You got to, you got to come support. Yeah. I was going to say, um, well, it was another thing I was going to say. Oh, I, no, I know two things I want to say. Hakeem Duwadu is going to get better because of this fight. I think he's going to realize mm -hmm. that those moments where he was tentative and let you lead the dance may have cost him. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think he's going to get better, and this is just going to be a learning fight for him. That's one thing, and it, it came at the, you know, a veteran taught him that lesson a little bit. It, it had nothing to do with the judges. I thought the judges scored it correctly. Um, and like I say, I was even open to 29, 28. It could have been the other guy. Hell, Cub, honestly, round two was close, too. You yeah. know what I mean? I, and there's some I, angle I where you, when you're looking, you're like, who got the best? When you guys did the phone booth fighting, some yeah. hook, you can't tell if, like, maybe a form blocked something or maybe yeah. something wasn't as effective. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I had to look and rewind and go, wait, what just landed or whatever? But obviously, in a live fight, there's no luxury to that. You got panels. You got the judge. You see some judges going like this because you may be blocking – them from seeing what you just did to him maybe it landed maybe it didn't you know what i mean it, it's it's it, it's a trip man it, it's really judging is a trip but i i think they have the best seat in the house and uh, you know yeah well my my wife obviously she's partial but she was like i think he lost uh because he he needs you in the in the cup twice he punched you after the bell and then when he did have you against the fence, he didn't do anything. He like his opportunity of his control time. He didn't, he just maintained, he didn't try to go for a finish. And so I was like, yeah, I could, I could see that as well. I, I definitely landed um, the bigger shots and I don't think I ever, I never got rocked. Um, the only thing that ever buckled me was the one calf kick um, hurt me pretty good. Did you talk to him afterwards? No, we kind of talked in, in the cage, like, you know, a little banter. It was funny, but uh, I, I 
I would have liked to have seen him after, but I ended up not going back to the hotel. I had a Airbnb with my, with my family. And mm-hmm. so I never got to, to run into him. I would have liked to have shaken his hand and told him, I appreciate the fight. Mm. The last thing that I did want to say was there may have been a few times when I did say, I hope you don't hold this against me, but I did say, man, get your hands up. <laughs> and the only problem is I probably ended it with fool. Get your hands up, fool, you know, or whatever. Boy, are you comfortable with your hands low? But man, as a Swanson fan, you got me wincing. Like, you know what I mean? Because they're four ounce gloves and it's not just hands, you know, and I know you're comfortable because you've done so much work with Diaz back in the day. You know, you got, you, you know, you can slip punches yeah. and all that. You see it coming, but it's just all these guys that maybe slip something and then all of a sudden a shin comes behind it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I was, I, I must have said it at least 20 times, get the hands up. Yeah. And, and a few fools in there, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe a jackass. I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it was so fun. I was on the edge of my seat. And both of you guys brought it. I wish you guys would have got fight of the night. I, I um, know that bugs I, me, but I was a little disappointed. I'm like, man, I was like, I, I could have used the extra, the extra money too, you know. And I'm sure Hakeem wouldn't would have appreciated it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but as long as the fans were happy, uh, can't complain. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we took up a lot of time this morning, but we covered a lot, and it's always fun with you. So congrats on the fight. If this is it, hey, nice one to go out on. Not just because you got your hand raised, but because it looked like you were having fun. And you guys, I mean, you guys honestly went at it, man. There was a lot of violence in that cage. I just thought of something, too. Ghost said something about WC. What was special about it? The blue canvas. And you guys had more of a cozy cage than the W. Sorry, the UFC the big octagon at the time that they still used, but they used more often then. And you guys had closer quarters, endless cardio, and just incredible feats, athletic feats, because, you know, the smaller weight class guys can do stuff like that, including the showtime kick, you know what I mean? But, yeah. oh, man, there's not many of you left. I think, what, you, Cruz, DJ, who still fights over mm-hmm. at one championship, um, and I can't think of too many more that are still left. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think there is any. Poye fought in WC, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. may have yeah. had one or two in there. Yeah. So it's uh, I it's thought, I thought down. Max uh, did too, but he he debuted in the UFC right when we against Poye, I think yeah. actually, yeah. And I think Poye submitted him at the Mandalay Bay, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but it was right when we transitioned over, I, and I thought it was in the WC, but yeah. You know what? Nate Diaz doesn't seem to be done yet, and I think he's got WEC ties as well. So, yeah, we're running low. But in the UFC, I think it's just you and Dominic. I think Nate will be back. DJ, like I say, still doing his thing. But, it's yeah, that, that chapter is almost closed too. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. For sure. In, in All right, bro. I, I always ahead. thought that it was like half and half uh, with my time in the WEC and UFC. Um, but yeah, it was no. only four and a half years in the WC. It's been like 12 years in the UFC. I was like, holy crap. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, bro. Well, listen, right. thanks again. We'll talk soon. I'm sure whatever you decide, uh, like I say, it's been a great career and I guess that, I guess I hope there is the next one and it is in Palm Springs, but whatever's clever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
hopefully it happens and i uh, appreciate you guys thank you nice chat with cub covered a lot i'm glad that he's feeling like that was his fight one and three it's it you know all it takes is a few days and some dusting off and i think everyone settles down a bit uh literally on saturday i was hearing the word robbery and by now i think everyone's just been able to stomach it and say no no yeah i guess it could have gone either way and and uh we move on with you know with no controversies i'm curious to think about we named a couple wec guys still around i know asun sao just retired right mm -hmm. um i feel like we're probably missing maybe one or two but that would be interesting to say you're the last man standing i think that would be a, a kind of a badass thing Clay Guida actually fought in the in the WEC as well. I just remembered. Yeah. There you so go. there's Guida, there's Diaz, there's Demetrius, there's Dominic Poirier, and now uh Cub Swanson. Mm -hmm. Uh so yeah, there's not there's not too many of them left. The other day I just happened to be coming across Joe B. Juan Kenobi's resume. I couldn't believe he was 39. Yeah, I literally remember him as a young twenty, early twenties. I think it was two thousand five, two thousand six, fighting in Pride. But if you take fifteen years off of thirty nine, there you go, twenty four. I remember Uriah Favor was in there in the ring, and he was taping it, and Joe was standing there hearing his name be announced, and uh, he did his thing. I'm not sure if it was Pride. Now that I think about it, or it may have been Sengoku or the other one, Dream. So there was World Victory Road presents Sengoku, and then there was Dream. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it was a while back. And, uh, yeah, it's just incredible that a lot of these guys, I couldn't believe Cubs turns 40 in November. I know. Yeah. Um, a few other things happening here. Jake Paul recently did an interview. He thinks 50K minimum for a UFC fighter pay would make a world of difference. Can it be done according to the numbers? Yes, it could. Does it need to be done? Is it really good business? I would say if, if you were to walk up to Jake Paul and say, hey, you're a businessman. You're all about making good business, right? Or bad business. He'd, always, he'd probably obviously say, I'm about good business. I will always say this. Yes, collectively, I think the fighters can come together and ask for more pay, more benefits, things like that. But when you go one-on-one, -on -one, the UFC easily will dismantle pretty much everyone and say, sorry, but we don't need you. Therefore, if they don't need you, you don't have that leverage to ask for 50000 especially if you're just Joe Blow. Since I have it open, let's take a look at who Joe Blow may be. This is the first, These are the cards. Sorry, these are the fights happening on Saturday. goes Marina Morose versus Kareem Silva. Andrea Lee versus Natalia Silva. Gerald Mearshart versus Andre Fertoski. Do we need any of them? Cody Gibson versus Brad Katona. Kurt Hollabaugh versus uh, Austin Hubbard. So the the uh, that's the finale for these uh, Tough 31 guys. But what I'm saying is, yeah, we want to know who wins the Ultimate Fighter. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the grand scheme of things, do we need any of those six fights? Will any of us lose any sleep if they don't happen? I would a little bit on the Tough Fights. But uh, I, I get you, what you're you saying. You would lose sleep. You might be disappointed, but you ain't losing sleep. It, did you watch the last episode of Tough? The one with Gibson? Yeah. Mm, part of it, yeah. 
I think the heat created there is like it. It really got me interested now in the main event or in their in their final. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I would be like, oh man, like I want to see what happens with these two guys. But but yeah, like as far as losing sleep, probably not. But how much mm-hmm. do you think if if the UFC said, all right, enough with win bonuses, just flat rate? What do you think your average UFC fighter should be paid? Flat rate. I think okay. So right now, I think they're at twelve and twelve. And so, obviously, the next bump would be 15 and 15. But if we just want to give it to them all at once, 30,000 just to show, perhaps. Um, I think I actually does the same make up for time and just go, hey, from from now on, everyone's making 40 just to show at the entry level. Yeah. 50, I guess we're not that far from what Jake Paul's saying. True, right? But what I'm Mm -hmm. saying is... You have to have okay. So Ghost did a good job of pointing out who might have some leverage in these six fights that I just named. He said there is people that want to know, you know, who who who's gonna win between um Gibson and Katona. Yeah, okay, I'll give them that, right? But they've but already like been I paid say, too, though. Remember, they get paid to be on the show. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I think. Yeah, I mean, they get paid something. But let's just use Petrosky and Mearshart. That fight doesn't need to happen in my eyes. It's nice, and Petrovsky could wind up being something within three or four fights. That's the beauty of MMA is these guys can go from being nothing to something. But while they're nothing, they kinda, they almost have no leverage at all. You know, that's why collectively they all need to kind of step, hold hands and step together or interlock arms and say, at one point, a lot of us were nothing but we can become something under your banner. But you have nothing. The UFC is nothing without all 684, I think was what Dana said the other the other day. Mm-hmm. I'll round up to 700. Without, uh, if us 700 walk out, good luck replacing us. You can start doing some Dana White Contender Series. You can sign a few guys just to get it going or whatever. You're not going to have enough shows. You might lose your contract with ESPN. You're going to have a lot of power. But that's obviously that's not going to happen. But when you just go one by one, like if you go, yeah, what's up? What's up? You need me and your Kareem Silva, Gerald Mearshart. They don't. They don't. They, they don't need to pay you your 70 and 70 or 20 and 20 or wherever you're at or the 50K that, that Jake Paul says. That's, mm-hmm. the, that's the rough part about this, you know. Obviously, right now I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm not in favor of all that going down. But no, I don't think I don't think they're at that level yet. I think they can still. I think the only reason they pay twelve and twelve is because the the heat that they do get. Honestly, they probably feel like they could just pay ten and ten or five and five, and they'd be fine. I think you could find a way to meet in the middle, because maybe the fighters not important. You know, let's say you have twelve fights on a card. The twelfth fight, maybe the fighter is not important. You could replace them with just about anyone, but the fight itself has to have some kind of value. Otherwise, they wouldn't have it. Right, there's got to be some kind of value to it. The fighter may not have the value, but the fight itself has a value. So they have to find some kind of middle ground, maybe somewhere in that. Uh, but but that's the problem is you know you got a problem with it. Joe Blow over here don't. He'll step in for you, right? I think they could find some kind of middle ground. I think maybe thirty thousand. Uh, it was the exact same number I had in my head. So there might be something to that. Perhaps, yeah. But again, we were being generous by saying no show, no win. Um, I guess what it's called, really, just so everyone knows in technical terms, it's called your purse is your show money. We call it show show money and, and 
win money. But it's really your purse and then a bonus that you get. That's how it is legally. Um, but um, for the purposes of what we've just always called it, show and win, they could be generous and just do that. Dana used to say we like to incentivize the guys to go after it. I think you could do that with finishing bonuses. So you could still give them their upfront money, you know, but give them um, performance bonuses to incentivize. So there's, there's different ways that I think they could pull this off. Um, like I say, I see a lot of fights that I just don't think needed to happen. But the reason the UFC does them is A, so PFL and Bellator don't get them. Uh, and B, because they can blow up. Look at, look, we drafted a guy named Nick Bosa for the 49ers about four or five years ago. And he's a great rusher of the quarterback. He's a defensive end. He signed a rookie contract. And I think after two years, they ripped it up. They go, this guy's awesome. And then they gave him a really, really nice contract. And right now he's doing so great. He's like, nope. He's two years into a five-year contract. And he's like, nope. He goes, I'm holding out. And so, obviously, his leverage is if he holds out, this team that's Super Bowl caliber is going to be weakened. So mm -hmm. we're going to have to cave to him a little bit. But really, he can't go anywhere else. He's got a five-year contract. But he does have a little bit of leverage because we kind of need him for the season, us being the 49ers. See, the UFC, they don't go through that stage. That's why when McGregor has been off for two years, they just go, man, sure does suck. And if when he's back. He's back, but guess what? We're a money-making machine that doesn't need anybody. It's no big deal. McGregor to the UFC is way bigger than Bosa is to the to the 49ers on paper. But on performance or whatever, nope. We need Nick Bosa if we want to win a Super Bowl, so we might have to cave to him and actually give him more money. Yeah, it's a good analogy. Yeah. Right, let me let me give you one back and just tell me if this makes any sense. Go ahead. I like finishing bonuses, but at the same time, I, I often think, do you want to, like, influence fighters to fight a way that's just not them? So, in other words, in the NBA, if you gave bonuses for people to hit three-pointers and dunks, does that take them out of who they are, uh, out of strategy, does it manipulate a little bit like uh, the game and the level of talent? I, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if a fighter just says, you know what, man, I really want that bone. And they go out and they start fighting like a fool to try and get it. And then you go, man, I don't know if this fighter A is better than fighter B. I think he was just fighting like that. Cause he wanted that, that bonus. Like I think if they just made the right amount of money, they wouldn't have to do that type of shit. Maybe. Um, because you're gonna have the fans are your audience, obviously, right? Yeah. And the fans love finishes. Decisions are two things: a, the fans don't like them. I mean, look, I think the other day we saw Cub and Duwadu. I was entertained, and it went to a decision. But so it can't happen, right? But what I'm saying is, a lot of times when it doesn't, it is the worst, man. Mm -hmm. And it's there are some fighters that just have a finish. They, they just tend to go for it. Um, and so there is a benefit to the fighters if they can become that one guy that hits that sixth gear that most can get to. However, here's another thing you avoid, and that's the controversy of the judges. You know what I mean? So if anything, you're kind of maybe 
avoiding two things. A, I just bagged a bonus for finishing, and B, I didn't have to go to the judges and have to sweat out a split decision. So, mm -hmm. yeah, maybe it does change you a little bit, but for the most part, I think it can also make you just more valuable, more exciting to the company, more exciting to fans. Maybe it propels you into a new stratosphere. Who knows? Um, there's not too many fighters that have been able to pull out the whole I want to be a decisionator type guy and still be big. You know, I can think of Cruz. I could think of GSP, for example. But for the most part, you know, like they just, I, I remember poor John Fitch, man. He used to get hated on because he would just stifle his opponent, suck the wind out of a pay-per-view. And he was that gatekeeper guy that you needed to get to him to get to GSP. And a lot of people couldn't even get to him, get through him. You know, but I also used to say John Fitch made everyone better too, because yeah. guess what? Yeah, the first thing you had to do was work on takedown defense, getting up from a takedown, you know, whatever. But I don't know. Um, okay, we have another fighter. Uh, sorry, ex fighter, now a broadcaster as a guest of ours. Kenny Florian is going to join us. We'll talk about about uh, PFL. They have two cards coming up, but we'll. Obviously, we focused more on PFL 8 2023 playoffs coming up on Friday. This Friday, folks, ESPN has you covered with a 9 p.m. Eastern start time for that main card. All right, Junkie Nation, he's back. Ken Flo in the house. He'll be calling PFL, as you know, for the next couple weekends. Coming up here on the 18th, which is a Friday, on ESPN. They follow it up on the 23rd. Again, another ESPN offering. These are the semifinals that eventually get you to the finals. Of course, we're also coming off a stellar week uh, in San Antonio. Welcome back, Ken Flo, to Junkie Radio. How are you? Thanks, boys. How are you guys? Doing great. And, you know, before we look forward, I want to go back. Let's tie in the whole Peruvian thing here. Yes. Your parents are from Peru. Our yes. mom's from Peru. We've known that for years. And, hey, you look at South America. Peru's a pretty good-sized country. It's had a pretty decent football team. But I yes. kept waiting. I kept waiting for uh, uh, some athletes to come from our sport, mixed martial yeah. arts. There's some tough dudes in Peru, man. Yeah. And, boy, are they coming. And I'm telling you, that Pinedo guy, Jesus Pinedo, is as good as they come, man. That dude is a savage. What a huge win over Bubba Jenkins this past uh, weekend. I couldn't agree more, man. You know, John Anik uh, called me out today on the podcast um, for, for being biased towards Peruvian fighters. And um, I had to admit that, yes, yes, that is true. Um, yeah, you know, I, it, it's always exciting to see you know, uh, obviously the soccer team do well, but it's great to see other athletes come from Peru, whether it's like a world champion surfer or, you know, see guys get on the scene, especially with MMA, which is our sport, right? So um, Jesus Pinedo, man, he is a problem. Like he is one of those hungry dudes that not only is trying to defeat you, he's trying to hurt you. He's trying to do bad things to you, man. Uh, so he's a savage, gets right in your face and, um, you know, makes you fight him. So uh, really fun style to watch. And, you know, I was talking to some other people about it, and it's like, how many upsets 
does someone need to get until you're like, okay, this isn't an upset anymore. This dude's a real fighter. And, you know, going back to back, one against Brendan Lochnane, the other one against Bubba Jenkins. I mean, that's the way you put your name out to the MMA world. So he's looked phenomenal. It's exciting for um, Peru in general. Uh, and obviously for Pinedo, he's looking like a, a world beater, man. He has a very tough final uh, against Braga, uh, Gabriel Braga. But, um, man, uh, it, it's it's good to be an MMA fan right now. Yeah, and, you know, he um, he even had some Diaz swag. Once he, he got did. going, he was talking smack to Bubba Jenkins. I really liked that about him. Uh, like, the guy was just ticking boxes all the way around. By the way, man, he's a giant at that weight class. Huge. Um, and but but he is a problem. And what I liked was because you always wonder in different parts of the world, what's this like? What's that like? So in yeah. South America, obviously wrestling's a bit of a deficiency. Uh, for there's just not much wrestling going on in yeah. all of South America, yeah. including Brazil and everything. But I loved how he was working on underhooks. You know, a lot of those taller athletes start throwing elbows. Next thing you know, they get taken down. And I'm like, no, first prevent it. You know, he he was able to get up. And you could tell every time he had, he won one of those mini battles, he just grew even more in confidence because now it's back to slinging dogs. You know what I mean? Um, I think you're spot on. To to either, have you been able to either talk to him or his team and just to see what's been the involvement of MMA in Peru? Yeah, no, George, I think you're spot on, man. Um, I, we haven't been able to talk so much about it. He was saying how, you know, first of all, it, it it's going to be or it, he wants it to be a great honor uh, to be the first world champion in mixed martial arts from Peru. And he said there's a lot of tough guys coming up. He said there's a lot of guys that came before him, a lot of great training partners that he has. Um, but you know, he, he, this is kind of his main motivation is to win a world championship for Peru. He's very proud, um, uh, as a Peruvian. And, uh, I, I think he could very well be on his way. Like I said, a very tough final for him, but I mean, the previous two fights were very tough for him as well, uh, taking out all those other guys. So I think that, you know, it's almost like it compounds. Once you see someone find some success, it leads to more success in a lot of ways, especially I mean, we see it with gyms, right? Whether it's city kickboxing, and obviously they are legitimately a great mixed martial arts team. But when you see someone else, either from your area, from your team, do well, it tends to give other fighters that much more confidence to, to know that, hey, we have, a, we have the right recipe here. We are doing the right things. If Pinedo can do it, then maybe I can. And then someone else says that, and someone else says that. So I think that, you know, a, a country like Peru – they do things with such passion, and there are people there that are literally hungry and, and trying to establish themselves not only as some of the best athletes in the world, but you know, trying to make it, trying to make it out of poverty, trying to uh, do something bigger and better than themselves or what what maybe or where they came from. So, um, you know, to see Pinedo come from humble beginnings and, and potentially be a millionaire at the end of this year uh, would be phenomenal for his team for his country, and, of course, for himself. Yeah, and, you know, we are going to talk about PFL 8 and 9. I'm sorry, but I'm just really so happy for this guy, kid. Another thing that I loved hearing from him was the money was, like, one of the last things he was thinking about. He was thinking about the yes. glory. Like, he's already seen what it could do for himself, for Peruvian mixed martial arts, for his country. I thought that was top-notch. Absolutely, because, you know, I, I think money motivation can only take you so far. I think that... It's a more powerful 
indicator or measurement when you're trying to do something for legacy. And because I think that's the thing, right? That's the thing. Million dollars won't stick around forever. It actually can go pretty quickly. Uh, But being a world champion, that's forever. And I think that's his main thing. And to hear him say that, that that was the biggest thing. He's here for glory. Mm-hmm. Um, was was pretty damn cool, and I think his head is absolutely in the right spot. And so far, everything that he said he was going to do, he's gone out there and accomplished, and he continues to surprise uh, everybody. Yeah, very refreshing. I'll make sure to send these first six minutes of this interview to John Anik. Sorry, man, more <laughs> Peru talk over here. It's not like he doesn't shove the Boston and the Chowderhead accent uh, down our throats when he That's comes fair. on our show. So he's just going to have to take a little bit of his medicine there. But of course, coming up is PFL 8, Hannon Fajeda versus Maurice Green. I don't think you can find two two bigger human beings colliding 6'7 uh, and 6'8 in that main event. Talk about that one, man. Both guys have been through a lot in their careers, but somehow they dusted themselves off and put themselves in a position where one guy can make a million dollars, change his life. Yeah, George, I think you put it well, man. I, I think, uh, first of all, it's rare that you see two behemoths like Maurice Green and Hannah Fajeda get in there and fight. Um, so that's pretty cool. Six eight, six seven, like you said. And, you know, I think both guys, you know, aren't really similar in stature, but I think they've experienced similar things in that it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride for these guys. Um, you know, they've experienced the highs, they've experienced the lows in the PFL. And Maurice Green has the ability to really write a pretty beautiful story if he's able to get to the final. And for Hennon Fajeda, I think he's been the guy that a lot of people have been very excited about. His athleticism at his size at six foot eight is just, you don't see it every day. I mean, the dude's doing backflips off of one leg. Uh, it, it's insane. His level of, uh, his level of athleticism, the physical traits that he possesses, the speed, the power, uh, it's unreal. So, as far as danger, he's one of the most dangerous, one of the most potent strikers offensively in the world. Uh, Maurice Green has been training a lot with John Jones, as he's mentioned, has um, kind of shored up some of the weaknesses that we've seen in his game. I think he's fighting with much more confidence. I think he did make some mental errors in his last fight. Um, well, and par- partially, I guess, you know, you could say it was his fault, but also his corner's fault, perhaps. You know, I, I don't want to be too har- harsh on anybody because different fighters uh, get motivated by different things. Sometimes they need positivity to drive them forward. Uh, and some fighters just want you to be very real with them. Um, and I think that uh, perhaps it was a disservice uh, to him to tell him that he was winning that round. Maybe he would have approached it differently. Uh, um, I don't know if he's gone back and watched that and see if that was you know, actually the case or not, if he still believes he won that fight. But Morris Green is absolutely capable as a fighter of winning that last fight uh, against Ante Dilly, who's a tremendous fighter, and maybe even winning it all. I, I definitely think he's got the skills and he's got the mindset. He's got the work ethic. So I think this is a really intriguing fight for those reasons. Kenny, we just recently talked to or spoke to Maurice Green, and he did bring up John Jones and the effect okay. that John Jones has had on his career, training, mentally, uh, a lot of good advice. Can you maybe share with us somebody in your career that you came across maybe a little later in your career that kind of maybe shook your world up a little bit of fighter, whether it was advice or, or training? Yeah, it goes. I think that's a great question, man. Um, I, I think uh, every single person has played a part 
uh, some more than others. I think the one guy that really was a tremendous um, example of work ethic and always pushing and pushing and pushing was someone like George St. Pierre. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to hang out with him a lot. Uh, you know, after my fight against BJ Penn, um, I was able to stay with him, you know, do his routine, see how he trains, uh, talk to him about training. And um, yeah, and, and he brought me along to a lot of training sessions, whether it was like private lessons with John Danaher or, you know, uh, going to his gymnastics, uh, you know, room or whatever. So uh, I was just very lucky to see him always look for doing things differently. And that was a, um, that was definitely an eye-opener for me. You know, his volume of training, I'm not sure I could ever match. I always prided myself on doing more than everybody. Uh, George St. Pierre, I'm not sure I ever did more than he. His ability to handle training was just insane, man. Um, an absolute workhorse. Uh, so, yeah, I um, I think he was one of the those guys that really inspired me in a lot of different ways. And I'm so thankful that, um, you know, I had a friendship with him and got a chance to train alongside him. Now, this year, the PFL has given us a lot of surprises, and there's a lot of returning athletes that seem like they've adjusted things in their games uh, to make them better. You know, PFL takes time to get used to. Is there one that stands out for you, somebody that's made a really big improvement from last year to this year? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I've, um, I guess it, it's cheating a little bit because we've only we've done one out of the three uh, playoffs so far. But for for me, Josh Silvera, uh, you know, I look at how he was last year. Not only like skill wise, but mentally, he's just like a different guy. Like the things that he was saying, he was brutally honest about his performance, about his dedication last year, and it's not like he wasn't necessarily dedicated or he wasn't so focused but this year it's just totally different i think we learn from our mistakes the most right uh for better or worse and it seems like he's just very very mature and very aware of himself and his performances and what he needs to do to improve and anytime i hear that and see that in a fighter i, I know that they're destined for greatness in some way, shape, or form at some point. And Josh just seems like he has that. Um, seeing where he was last year, he, he's he's different in every way. Um, definitely more mature, more skilled. He's fighting with way more confidence. He's more sure of himself. And because of that, he's in the final against a very dangerous guy in Impa Kasegana. I want to forecast a little bit into the future. Look, Amanda Serrano, Clarissa Shields, Jake Paul, Francis Ngannou, uh, rumors of PFL tour, right? Like, what do you think we're going to see here out of the PFL in the next couple of years? What, what do you think that could maybe look like? That's hilarious, man. Leave it, leave it to goes to come up with that one. P PFL I got that one from Mike Bond. Well, well done. Well played, Mike. Um, yeah, so I'm not exactly sure. Like, I don't have a ton of information on what's going on. I know they've been in discussions. Um, there, there might be an announcement soon, I hear, too. So... If that's the case, man, I think there's um, a ton of potential for PFL to just elevate several levels from here. I mean, absorbing that kind of a roster and getting like, again, I don't know what they're going to do, but if they're getting the best guys from Bellator and absorbing those guys into the PFL, it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge for the sport. Um, I, I think immediately you're talking about increasing your, your roster by almost like three times potentially. Um, 
putting on better fights, having higher levels of competition, which is only going to elevate the fighters in that in those respective divisions. So, and I think it gives an opportunity for uh, PFL or Bellator, however they're going to split it up or combine it to uh, elevate their status. You know, to to really make it kind of a, a two horse race. Well, of course, there's one FC in there, but um, when you're talking about you know competitiveness and putting on great pay-per-view fights the pfl could do that now by by getting all those guys and also you know making it that much more attractive for other fighters to come over if, if they're at if they're nearing the end of their contract so i think there's a lot of different ways that they can approach this uh and uh, for me as a you know just a a, a commentator it's exciting uh with the prospect of calling a lot of big fights in the future yeah, Don Davis has been teasing a lot, so we'll we'll see what happens here in the next yeah, few weeks. Um, with PFL eight, the co-main event is a is a dandy as well. You know, Alina Kolsnick has lost twice to Larissa Pacheco, but yes. I feel like she's also improved her game in the last eighteen months or so. She's won four of her last five, the only loss being to Pacheco. And like we were telling her the other day, because we spoke to her too, that footwork is really nice that she has. You know, I mean, she really does float and when she's out there. So she's not a stationary target. Now, that said, um, Larissa Pacheco is underrated. She is awesome. She's got a lot of skins on her wall that a lot of people don't know about unless you do a deep dive. A lot of former champions from other promotions and, of course, the crowning jewel being Kayla Harrison. Can you talk about this matchup between these ladies? Um, I, I think it's going to be really, really, you know, closer than maybe the feeling that one would get if they're just tuning in for the first time because one's beating the other one twice. George, spot on with your analysis as usual. I think that it's a very interesting fight just based on the fact that Kolesnik is a very different fighter. Um, and, you know, similar to how we were talking about Josh Silvera, I think that she has really matured as a fighter and as a professional, um, you know, with, with the different skills that she's addressed you know she's had her weaknesses as far as the, her ground game and while it may not be perfect it is vastly improved from last year i think her footwork is vastly improved from last year her ability to get in and get out uh, is going to be crucial um in her fight against larissa pacheco so those things that she's improving she's going to need that against pacheco no question about it however you know, I, I think I would not be completely honest if I didn't say Pacheco had a huge advantage heading into that fight just based on what she has accomplished. And, of course, to to what you alluded to, you know, she's defeated, you know, people like Kayla Harrison, Julia Butt. Like, you know, she's she is unbelievable, man. And I've been saying this for a while. I, you know, Amanda Nunes in her prime or, or even the last Amanda Nunes, who I thought looked fantastic. I think Larissa Pacheco, the way she matches up with her, she's one of the few women in the world that I think could actually give her a, a run for her money that could actually dethrone her. Um, so I, I truly believe that in my heart of hearts. And I remember last year telling everybody, do not sleep on Pacheco against Kayla Harrison. Kayla is phenomenal. She's great. I know she had a lot of injuries last year, but Pacheco is so damn dangerous her power her speed her grappling her ability to to get up from tough positions uh the belief in herself her physicality 
she just looks totally different. And I think she's on her way to becoming a potential two division champion in the PFL, which has never been done before. So she really is that good. Kolesnik has improved a great deal. I think confidence wise, she's riding high. So she's going to need all of that confidence to defeat Pacheco. Um, and uh, I, I think because of that, it's going to be really interesting. Yeah. And just to finish the praises on Pacheco, so you're right. It would be two divisions having titles. And as a Bantamweight, she held her own. She's got wins over Irene Aldana, Sarah Coffin. Coffin's a former Strike Force world champ. Aldana, of course, the UFC title contender. Um, so we're literally talking about someone that just gets overlooked when you talk about all-time greats in women's MMA. And yes, I also believe it would have been an interesting fight because when you fight Nunes, the first thing you got to do is get your respect. And yep. Pacheco's got that type of power. I would have loved to see those two dance uh, at one point. All right, Goes has one more. Uh, we got Kenny Florian here. He's calling the fights for PFL 8, PFL 9. It's a Friday and Wednesday, so five fights. Sorry, five days. You'll get two sets of fights on ESPN, folks. And again, these are big fights. These are semifinals that lead to the finals later on this year. $1 million to the winner. Goes wrap up with Kenny Florian. Uh, on this same topic, George was talking about how cool it would have been had this been the final, right? These two girls. Yeah. yeah. And then as we got to talking with Elena a little bit, we all kind of figured out, well, because it's happening here, we're getting it three rounds versus five. How much of a difference do you think that makes strategy-wise, fight-wise, when you see it play out in your head, Kenny? Does this favor more uh, you know, towards Elena or Larissa? How, how do you see that playing out, the fact that it's three versus five? I think it's a great question, I, and I'm not sure I have a great answer. Um, I, I think that both ladies, you know, candidly have struggled a little bit in making 145 pounds. Um, now, Larissa has made it every time, but I think her first fight against Bud, we didn't see Pacheco at her best. She said, you know, the weight cut was absolutely horrendous. The second one she said was significantly better, and she believes it's going to be way better this time out. So I don't think it's going to be an issue, and I don't think it's going to be an issue. I think for Kolesnik, knowing how big of a fight this is for her, she understands she needs to make weight. Um, you know, she she has missed before as well. So I, I, I don't think it's going to be an issue here, but if one of them does struggle, I think the fact that it's three rounds is way better than it being five rounds. So I think it kind of favors both. In a way, um, I think Pacheco has a tendency of being a fast starter. I don't think she's necessarily like, I don't think she slows down at the end. But one thing's for sure, we have seen her start very fast. Kolesnik, sometimes we see her start slow. So I don't know. Um, I, I think I think it kind of benefits both here in this matchup that it's 15 minutes. So um, yeah, that's how I see it. Good stuff, Ken Flo. Listen, we still have about two weeks before the other one. We already took 20 minutes of your time. I don't want to drag it out too long. I'd love to come back and revisit, yeah, do a quick preview of PFL 9 uh, in about a week or so. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. Both cards are really, really nice. I, mean, I can't wait for Burgos and Collard. That's going to be a great one. And I'm a huge fan of uh, Magomed Magomed Karimov. That guy, when he's on, oh, man, he looks like he's one of the best at 170. And, of course, I see a lot of Savadusi here in Las Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that guy, uh, I, he's a giant, for one, and he's so slick, you know, when, when he gets well, going. He would, so. probably be, 
he would probably be my second choice as guys who have made the most amount of improvements. And I felt weird saying that considering he won the championship last year, but mm. he's actually even better this year. So yeah, man, always great to talk to you guys. And I'd love to come back. All right. Thank you, Ken. Folks, tune in on Friday, the 18th on ESPN. Check it out. Big fights, courtesy of the PFL. We'll talk to you soon. All right. A little kumbaya there talking about Pineda, the Peruvian. But yeah, I always wanted to talk to Ken Plo. Yeah, he's a good cat. And and he uh he's so immersed in what happens, you know, they everything happens in spurts for them. So it's just one after another that uh I, I really do respect when him and Randy come on and talk about these types of things. They really have more insight than anyone else, man, especially being ex fighters. You know, they can relate so much to, to what's actually going on. You know, I flip flop back and forth of Fajeda and Green. Um Green you know, just sounded like a way different fighter than I remember him mm -hmm. and him being upfront and honest and saying, Hey, look, I actually know why I lost. I, it's all on me as to why I lost in the regular season to Ante Delizia, even though he had beaten Marcelo Nunes. And so therefore he had enough points to progress, but that kind of self-awareness I think is, and, and being humble is big. And look, Fajita is a beast, man. We kept saying six, eight versus six, seven. Don't get me wrong. Look what he did to well, Fabrizio Verdun was very impressive. Um, you know, he's gotten some really nice wins along along the way. But I remember, too, when Ante D'Elia put it on him uh, in 2022, I think it was the playoffs there, he kind of folded a little bit. And I think Maurice Green can maybe possibly get him to that point. We'll see. That's why we tune in. Yeah, they, they – uh... I like that he just addressed it head on and and was able to recognize that. I think he said something along the lines that he can't rest until uh, until he gets that one back. So, uh, you know, I, I like that those losses actually affect him, and he's already kind of made that switch. And you know, there's been like different history in boxing of, of fighters, other fighters influencing a fighter, and that being a really good thing. So we'll see what that does. You know, that influence of John Jones. Uh, he would have never thought, right? But uh, apparently in the gym, the guy has uh, good things to share with people. So we'll see what effect it has on Marine Screen. Yep. All right, we well, got to hustle here. I'll just say a couple things. Dustin Poirier, he had a we had a nice piece on MMA Junkie. He's saying that McGregor, if he returns without the six-month protocol, quote, they're making a whole joke of USADA. I think we've all stated our opinions on this one. We all agree with Poirier. So we'll see what eventually happens. Of course, McGregor saying December against Chandler. Count on it. UFC 296. We shall see. As of right now, it would be about one, two, three, four months. I think I could stomach four months, honestly, if they just did it. Just to get it over with so I don't have to talk about this no more. But no, seriously. We really just need to get to a, a six-month mark, and that's that. Um, and then Israel Adesanya says it was his doing as to why Sean Strickland did get the title shot. Uh, looks like the UFC, according to Adesanya, was not warm to this goes, and he's the one that kept pushing it. So Strickland has him to thank. Well, all I can say is I guess he could have gone cannoneer, but he said he didn't want to run it back. He's been running it back a few times. You know, he did that with uh, Pajeda, Whitaker, Vittori. So he's just wanting maybe some fresh blood. But 
I don't think he had that many options either. And it's not like Strickland right. isn't kind of worthy. I mean, he's got a pretty impressive record. 27 and 5 overall. Um, and in the UFC, I don't have his UFC record handy, but he's, you know, he's got a mouth on him, that's for sure. But yeah, he could he could be ready to go. He he's the guy, I think, if Dracus wasn't ready to go and and did and Izzy didn't want to run it back with Cannonier, sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, man, you're vouching for a dude that can say just about anything at any time. So, and I think we've already gotten a little bit of a taste of that. But like I said, man, earlier on spinning back click, the closer we get, the more excited I'm getting for it. Yeah. I guess once again, Izzy maybe just probably didn't even have to say that, right? Or maybe maybe that's just a mental war- warfare and we should back off a little He's bit. Maybe I just think screwing with Strickland a little bit, kind of flexing. Uh, anyway. Um, all right, folks, one last reminder. So Goes and I will be hosting a watch-along on Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Tune in. I think the only thing we left out is, like Goes said, I think you guys, by knowing the results, we know it's Gibson versus Katona. Cody Gibson did win his fight on tough, and then the Dana White Contender Series had five more winners, and five more people entered the UFC, and frankly, I think they could have just gotten away with maybe four or three. Um, but they've been on a roll, just going five for five. So whatever, whatever's clever. Turkey was in the house. Two winners from Turkey on Dana White Contender Series. But we're out of time, folks. We got to move on. So have a nice day. Go out and be a champion. We'll see you Saturday. <laughs>